Yeah. Gaia House, 2015, Monday, June 1st, for CND session two. So, um, I feel like I have a rock and you have a, a precise instrument. <laughs> with the questions. <laughs> you know, uh, so this morning, uh, difficult night, usual stuff, not resting, pain, stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, an awareness of just sort of asking myself, is there an awareness? And yeah, but it's really dull, it's sluggish, it's not, it's weak. Okay. And simultaneously, two things popped up. One is, I want this, just acknowledging the desire for it not to be weak. Mm. And then um, hearing, well, look, you know, it, that's what it is. There are reasons for that. Almost like watching this conversation going on. Yeah. Um, having no sensible, intelligent questions to ask. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed to me that the best thing to do was just to get washed and try to bring some awareness to that. Mm -hmm. And that that would sharpen up, brighten my awareness, which it did. Yeah. But there was a sense, you know, whilst acknowledging the desire for things to be other than they were, I wanted my, my awareness to be brighter. Yeah. There was a sense that, um, you know, there are questions, you know, that my, my questions currently are quite blunt and gross, they're not very subtle, but there's a sense that if I have a, there's an intention behind the question that opens it up somehow. So that even if all I've got is, um, is there awareness, what does the mind want, rather than subtler, finer questions, because there's an honest intention behind that, it will open up an answer anyway. Does, is this making sense? Not 100%. I get what you mean. You think that there is a correct answer to ask. Uh, sorry, a co correct question to ask. <laughs> sorry. Not so much correct, but just more precise. It feels like I've just. I, I, it feels like um, stumbling in the dark towards something rather than. Like if I ask this, you know, and will, I guess will that come with practice? ตัวเอ่อตัวเนี่ยตัวโนโนนี่แหละคาราอินโนเปะเพราะฉะนั้นน่ะเลยตัวเอ็งอนามะยาโอ้ดังนั้นตะดิ <laughs> ดีหาเรียเลยอาจารย์เจ้าอโจผิดเลยแบบว่าเลยสรุปเลยคุณจะลองชื่อเลยแล้วตัวอืมนั้นเนี่ยตีจินะโอ้อาคาวน์จินะ
ตะแกเสกขึ้นมาน้าแลจินะเสกเนี่ยโหยูยูนี่ตะแกน้าแลจินะเสกเนี่ยเมเลยสวยเมก็ตะคุกอ่ะทิ่ยอมเลยตัว
So anyway, there's um, and under the volitions, um, there is an extra fifty of uh, fifty balls that are not always lighted up. Okay, and they light up as a mind. But the, the ones that are always lighted up, it means that every mind instantly perception, feeling, um, consciousness, and some volition or the other is always present. Okay? And of the rest of the you know, the volitions there's about fifty balls, then you know, you might have like Wholesome qualities of mind, unwholesome qualities of mind, like you know, wholesome like sati and panya and all that, and unwholesome like dosa and so on. And so that's what Vedana is. Vedana is one of the functions in the mind, one of those little balls that light up and give the mind its abilities. So, the mind, you know, it's defined by some of its omnipresent functions so that it's able to think or know makes it the mind. So that's how you know it's a mind because there is some nature in, in this mind and body that knows. You can't like place it or see it or feel it, but you know that there's a sense of knowing, and that's the mind. There's a sense of feeling, that's the mind. There's a sense of thinking, that's the mind. I ask something. It's not a question, but with that, like inside us, contact. After deep. No, it's not a deep question. Just a question. Sorry. Let's no, follow up. Let's follow up. Okay. It's just that feeling in this context. It's feeling as in pleasant, unpleasant. No. It's feeling, feeling as in feeling. Okay. Yeah. Pleasant, unpleasant perception is already working. It's given it a meaning or a value. Yeah. Okay. Feeling is just a. The ability you don't to feel. Contact, contact, contact feeling. I don't say that. Yeah. I think of feeling she do a new Yeah. So when there's contact, the mind feels the contact. So that's a, a function. It feels the contact. It's a light And because there is the feeling of the contact, the sensing of the contact, you might say, then the other, well, they all happen together, but that's the conduit or the door through which the other um, mental functions can work. So then perception comes and, and interprets and, and then a value is given. And then all the other sankaras kick in, whether it's a wholesome reaction or an unwholesome reaction. You know? yeah. I have a question about fear. Okay. <coughs> um, I heard you say earlier today that with a um, very unpleasant experience to just to leave it and put the attention on something else. When you're not able to continue being with it. Right. Yeah. Um, because it's making you more agitated, basically. Right. There's, there's a way in which 
uh, I feel very aversive to it. And the, the, the taking the attention off of the fear is, is harder. Is, well, it's also an aversive response. Right. You take you, you take attention off the fear because you don't want to watch fear. You're saying because it's it's frightening. Yeah. Um, and what I notice is that that the fear is there fairly constantly. And it's always, it, it feels like it's pulling me back. So I can move the attention off of the fear and put it on breath mm-hmm. or put it on any number of other objects. Yeah. But there's a way in which it keeps drawing me back. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, that's the first question, is how best to deal with that. It sounds like a very pervasive fear. It is. Oh. So Sanusis used a neutral object as a way to ground the mind so that it's not completely absorbed in the fear. Uh, the fear doesn't go away, but it's like you're watching fear out of the side of your eye. So your attention is on the neutral object while recognizing that fear is standing by. But you're, you're doing this to build the strength of the awareness. And do remind yourself that fear is just fear. You are not fear. Yeah, นี่จะตะคุเวดาเลยเมนเตอร์สเตตตะคุเวฟีอร์อิสเอ่อเอ่อวันออฟเดอะแนทูรัลฟังก์ชันส์ออเอลเมนท์ออฟเดอะมายด
being practiced more, the other side will lose momentum. Have you ever done the breath? Have you ever watched the breath? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Or rising, falling? Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, look. You can do any of them. Right. Yeah. Can I ask a question which actually slightly follows on from that? And that is, let's say you're with somebody or you get some news which affects you quite strongly. You know, you sort of feel either criticized or something churns you up mm -hmm. inside. And that, um, if, you're, if you have the time, you obviously you can then slightly isolate it and work on it. But if this happens, let's say, in a dynamic context, when you're with somebody who mm -hmm. is constantly sort of setting those triggers off, mm -hmm. um, is there a way that one can, um, let's say, more readily just get back to, back to one's, let's say, more stability or stability of mind? in that, let's say, when you don't have, like, all day to, to sort of mull it over. <laughs> yeah. What about all day to be mindful? <laughs> well, I know, obviously, always be mindful, but if, if it's something which is very, um, you know, you then have to put your mind on something else mm. for practical reasons, you know, work or whatever it is, is there something that one can do to really, I mean, maybe an anchor which you can come back onto? It all depends on how strong your practice is. If you have a strong practice that's able to do that, then you'll be able to do that. Yeah, if you have a strong practice where you know you're mindful all the time and you've trained your mind to always be on an object and when it stays on an object the mind comes down then you can be in a, a terribly you can be in a terrible fluff and you just pay attention and the mind comes down yeah. So there's two ways, Yadosis, that you can quiet the mind. One is um, easier to develop in the beginning, and that's um, samadhi, you know. Um, you, you use all your, your possible waking hours to develop samadhi um, by being mindful of something. Uh, so you keep the level of your samadhi, the momentum of your samadhi going, you know whether you're sitting somewhere or walking somewhere, you always, your mind is preoccupied with being aware, very, you know, very properly, so that, you know, it's always maintaining that stability. So then when it meets with something that, you know, that is upsetting or whatever, it, it continues to do that, and immediately it has the same effect, because that's what you've been training the mind to do. The second way, Seattle says, is that hopefully through all these exercises, you gain some wisdom. Understanding arises about these things, about whatever. And maybe that understanding is related to um, the, you know, the, the problem of the moment. 
and if if it, if it is a related understanding or uh, an understanding that can shed light on it, yeah, says you need to you can bring up that understanding. For example, if you have a strong, more wide understanding of what it means that everything is just nature, then maybe somebody starts and then you have a reaction and you understand that this is just the nature of what's happening. And that stills the mind. You, one doesn't feel so distressed anymore because one sees that well, this is the way it is. So understanding can make the mind calm down and so can samadhi if you have trained the mind. So essentially it's the, it's the wisdom that you bring to bear which actually dissolves the... If you've had a real wisdom about mm. it. Yeah. Not an intellectual understanding can help depending on the, the how intense your... The stronger and more um, more heartfelt your understanding is, the more relief you get. There are other skills that you can develop also which takes time. So there's the samadhi bit, which is probably the simplest, the although not simple. But um the other one and the other one is this is when you become skillful at knowing the mind. It's just the mind. Um, when there's that understanding that this is just mind, Seattle says you can watch any agitated mind. You know this is the mind, the mind will calm down. All this comes from practice and that's why we can't leave the mind alone. Every moment that we have that we are not occupied, we need to be charging the battery of the mindfulness. So when he was practicing at home, he says his mind was always so easily flustered. You know, he would get... Um, panicked when he saw people, he, he was always in a charged state of mind, so he was constantly trying to keep the mind focused. So he said one of the things he would do sitting in his shop was put his five, you know, his fingers together, you know, five fingers to five fingers, and he'd pay attention to one finger, to, you know, one touching point, until all the others faded. And then he would switch fingers, and he would watch that touching point until all the others faded, and he would switch again. So not getting attached to an object, but training the mind when it changes object to learn to So the mind is not thinking, he said, the mind is not thinking all sorts of, all the nonsense that is causing his agitation. He says for, you know, whether we are panicked or or afraid or fearful or depressed, Seattle says, it's, it's the thoughts of the mind that are torturing us. 
that are causing all our suffering. So then it, it's, very, it's essential to give the mind a job so that the mind is not mindlessly thinking those useless thoughts that are causing it suffering. So you give the mind work, but a piece of work that will eventually also help to gain wisdom and see through. And, and in that case with the fingers, it was more about learning to actually keep it on one object for a certain amount of time before... It was just learning to keep the mind. It was just learning to keep the mind on aware every moment with something. So that was his game. He says even when he listened to music, he would use it as an exercise for his mindfulness. He would. He would focus on one instrument at a time, so that all he heard in the music was that one instrument. Obviously. And everything else would fade into the background. So whatever he focuses on becomes more obvious, and the others fade into the background. Interesting, and the mind isn't think, you know, like isn't just doing what it usually does, you know, doing things that we're not aware of, and then it's causing the suffering. Yeah. So don't keep the mind idle, Siado says, because when the mind is idle, it thinks. That's its function, right? It thinks, therefore, it's mind. And when you do that for a long, long time, like months, like very steadily, says then the mind gets very strong, gets very powerful, and you face any problem, and the mind is ready to deal with it. It has the power of mindfulness, of that awareness and samadhi. He says he had to do his business. He also had to find, you know, take every, yeah, take care of his fear and paranoia. You know, every moment he got, he was keeping his mind on something to try and get a handle on his mind. Yeah. Mind is like the body can be trained. If you train that muscle, it gets strong. If you keep doing something, it will get strong. But we just we leave our mind alone. We don't train our mind. We take so much care of our bodies and we don't really take care of our mind. Um, yeah, I often um, reflect on like who I am, what I am, and intellectually I understand I'm not the body and the mind. Actually, in reality, I'm really attached to my body and my mind, mm-hmm. and I'm aware that something has got to shift. So, First, you need to um, watch that sense of, you can sense the attachment to the body and the mind. Watch that attachment. Keep your eye on it. 
So keep an eye on the attachment or the feeling or the sense of attachment to this mind and body. And Sarah says you will notice it change. The sense of attachment, it also has an intensity. Sometimes it's stronger, sometimes it's less. When it's less, Sarah says, then you can investigate to see whether the sense of attachment to what is attached to, you know, whether what is attached to is, is really something to attach to. You know, when it's less. When it's strong, of course, it's too strong. Then you just watch it. When it's less or when it's not there, then you can investigate better. It's very similar to pain. Uh, pain is like a representation of everything else that we are attached or resistant to. Um, when there's pain, the mind instantly goes to pain. And it's attached to, it becomes attached to pain through resistance. It's a strange animal. Um, <laughs> and why, and when we resist something, we resist pain, is because our mind wants not pain. Our want, mind wants the opposite of pain, you know, the absence of pain. And so the attachment is, is twofold, right? And then Siyadu says when we learn to watch the resistance and the resistance is less and then we also see how the pain is not always there. We begin to see that, well, pain is not personal. It's something that comes and goes, right? When there is resistance, pain is more uh, difficult. When there's less resistance, pain is actually not as painful. We begin to see the relationship of our... Uh, attitude to our perception of experience. It's also possible to develop, you know, much deeper types of um, understanding about, just from watching the same things, you know, we can understand impermanence or um, our own self. As we notice things changing um, and so on, he says, anytime understanding, you know, insight can arise, understanding that things change or that things are new, they're always arising or they're always going. Everything that's happening is always new. It's not always around, but every moment is new. So if we're mindful all the time, it gives a chance for those um, these understandings to be freshened yeah, because everything mental and physical is conditioned so um, these characteristics are part of every moment I need you to kind of yeah. uh, could I just say about 
pain. Um, I, it's very tight. I'm going to try the fingertip exercise because that sounds a lot easier than what I do currently. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do currently? Uh, so uh, currently, um, through the night, uh, it feels like I'm uh, in sole care of a nursery of screaming infants, and I sing a mental lullaby, which is there is a body that's experiencing points of sensation that arise, that flourish, that go. And it comes them, and then another screaming infant, and that's and I'm doing that all night long. And it's tiring. It works. Right. <laughs> you know, because yeah. I know all these things to be true. I know it's not personal. I know it's not me or mine. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. really tiring. Mm-hmm. So this... เลิกเลิกแก่หาเป็นมาเนี่ยบาบาโลกเลยแล้วตัวเนี้ยเนี่ยจ๋าไอ้หลุดมาเอ๊ะเอาส่วนตัวสิ่งที่มาตัวกู
Um, I think my question's about um, so Sidon was talking about a point in his practice where he sort of really developed that it sounded like discipline to be able to have an object that he would um, yeah, those were not the only objects he yeah. used tons yeah he used everything possible to yeah I think what I'm noticing so the the schedule here is really interesting to see what my mind's doing with it because it's bringing in this question around um, sort of day-to-day life and the last couple of retreats I've been on here I've really noticed myself quite quickly get lost in just the the chaos basically of, when you of, go back home. yeah when I go back home there's quite a lot going on and different jobs and stuff like that but I'm also noticing quite a lot less suffering in those conditions than mm. in pre in say five or six years ago yeah. which you know it's kind of nice but I'm noticing with that 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 doesn't or there, there doesn't seem to be the same discipline that I'm used to of right okay if I can sit half an hour a day etc so in one of the other groups you're talking about you know suffering being the real motivator sometimes to say right okay enough of this type thing and I think within the schedule here I'm asking myself how do I how to practice so that you know I'm I'm starting to walk faster I'm starting to eat faster because this is all stuff I do at home and I just know I'm going to do at home I'm also lying in bed a little bit longer because I know I'm going to do that at home rather than great I can kind of nail this here and then boom when I go out but you're being um, mindful. Yeah, so, th- you know, that feels like really, it's like, oh, there's really something in this, yeah. this, this exploration of the schedule here really? that I can really be a support. Because what, what I really want is the, I guess what I want is the faculties to be strong when I'm not here. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. I feel that what we're doing here is strengthening those. Yeah. Right. And yet I felt on the last retreat that's what I was doing as well. And then yeah. I would, within three days I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, and then you know, obviously, I come back and that kind of thing. So um, there's there's a genuine sense of you know, it feels like it might support faith in the practice mm. if there's some sense of um, yeah, how to yeah, how to just bring that aliveness really in, into that context. I don't particularly want to change those circumstances necessarily, or maybe I should. I don't know if that's you know if, if that's when that becomes valid when does one change one's circumstances in outside life. To, yeah mm-hmm. so there's quite a lot in that I know, but yeah what ပြီးနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်းနင်
အမှန်ကအာဘာနာပြောနားဆိုတော့အာနောက်ဆုံးနေခွမ်းပါလဲဆိုတော့အဲ့တော့အချင်းနေကိုပြောင်းပြရမှာပြောင်းတင်လာမ
Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi. Lionel Yeah. 
But if we are skillful at knowing what the mind is doing, Sierra says, then, then it becomes much easier to be aware in daily life. It's only after, you know, mental action, manukama, that you have speech Power and then bodily action. And you you can trust that that skill is being developed here because it certainly feels like it does. But then I I get surprised. Yeah. The lack of the access of that skill in day to day life. Yeah. It's a genuine surprise. Yeah. So then I wonder about. It. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder. I wonder about just because it feels like I'm so susceptible to conditions in that regard. I can come on retreat and day two I'm thinking, oh, this feels quite steady, and I'm surprised at that yeah. given how it had been the week yeah. before. Yeah. And then I come off retreat, and then I'm surprised again in the other direction. So. Is it, and then and then sometimes I wonder if faith drops away a little bit there because I, I don't necessarily always feel that that skill because I expect to go off here and know that I need to, you know, that, that, that to really bring that liveness to day to day life and yet sometimes that that drops away again and then it's so it's a little. เมื่อนี้เลยจอนเจมูเรียวตัวเอมาต้องรู้อย่างมันตัวเอ่อเซ็งชาโยจีเซ็งชาเลยแต่อันนี้อ่ะออกเลยเพราะส่วนเอมา
everybody is trying to keep silent and not. I am very happy. You know, I want to do that. I'm serious. Next time, I'm there. Yeah, it's just all these bad habits we develop on retreat. You know, we can't flush the damn toilet at night. It's just all this suffering that we bring on ourselves because we've set up the conditions. But at home, Siano says it's like, um, you know, it's like you know, because you don't know how the opponent is going to come at you. You don't know how life is going to come at you. You have to be prepared to deal with it any way you know how. Come whatever you want, you know whatever it is. Just come, I'll be ready. And you're like always trying to be ready. Go see your, go never back and tell you. Go see your, you buy what's in them. He says, if you only know how to kick the ball into the goal from the right side, he says, you get near the goal, and your only, you know, your 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 objective is to try to get to the other side of the goal so that you can kick it in from the right side. <laughs> But if you knew how to do both, then you could take advantage of any situation So he says, you know, it, it's like we have to be so skillful that. We should be able, that our reflexes should be. If you need to do a header, you're you're capable of it. If you need to kick in backwards, you're capable of it. You know that that's how our reflexes should be. But we need to train them in life as well. Now the question is, what I told you about that? My piece don't, my piece don't look. Don't look me. I'm not going to work. Our skill. Which is how? My piece don't look. In Being aware through all our different sense doors is also not complete, you know. So that we could take the opportunity to be mindful when you're just, you know, looking, or if you're just hearing. Um, we we don't know how to use those skills, so we find there's lots of gaps in mindfulness because we can't bring mindfulness to those activities because we just don't have. We In Vipassana practice, he said, you realize how you can't get rid of the objects because the objects are the means for the mindfulness. So you see, and seeing is aware. You know, there's awareness of seeing. You hear, and awareness of seeing. Uh, hearing, you look, and awareness of looking. You you listen, awareness of listening. And if you can bring, well, and not just that, you know, everything. Yeah. And then learning then to deal with also the defilements that, or the unwholesome states of mind that arise when you contact with things at home. You know, you will like, you will dislike, your irritation, fear, judgment, and learning how to to know them. To know them, deal with them, have enough awareness and samadhi that the mind knows how to deal with them. Oh, do you know the theatre? Right, they don't disappear right away. I told you, but do me like the ball. I don't know, 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 When he was practicing at home, you know, he spent the first couple of years just keeping away from everybody and just being by himself. 
And his practice became stronger and stronger. But he says he also began to take on this <coughs> attitude of, you know, he, he's practicing, so he doesn't want to be where it's chaotic. He doesn't want to be <clears throat> where there's a lot of people because everybody's so un- unmindful. And, and he's thinking that he's, he's very dumb, you know, because he's keeping away from all the, you know, unwise people. But, um, and then, you know, he would go and see his teacher every now and again. And then one day he understood what his teacher said, how you don't, it's not about removing the object, it's about removing the defilements that arise in the mind. Of course with wisdom and awareness, but um, not by trying not to have them. But when he began to understand that, okay, his practice was also at a level that he had quite a lot of awareness, samadhi, and wisdom as well. Um, then he realized that he's actually ready to face these things. He shouldn't be avoiding them. He was trying to avoid an object. He was trying to avoid something that agitated him. So he began to challenge himself to go, you know, for, for weddings or, you know, when he sent as a representative of the family to, you know, to gatherings and stuff like that. And he began to go in his own style. He didn't go there and start talking to everybody. You know, he would go there and just be aware. And people would greet him, he would smile. The wedding hall is for me is the Dhamma hall. <laughs> <laughs> Everything, you know, he could watch, seeing, hearing, he was already skillful at it. But he could use everything as an object. And he would, eventually, he said, he would come home still settled, not agitated by all that he had heard and seen, because his mind, he had been completely mindful. And, and that's when he felt that he had conquered that, you know, that that, that wasn't a, So the surroundings, the environment doesn't... Doesn't overwhelm you, you know, you're totally in control of yourself. <laughs> So he says we, um, we begin our journey in, in meditation by being aware and it brings uh, <coughs> stability, a samadhi, and then it's learning how to maintain that samadhi, maintain that stability. I understand all these, yeah, all these are, And all these are actually lessons we learn through our... Skillful level, understand <coughs> level. But when level we learn level. in different situations to maintain the stability, and it takes time. You know, you, you go back, oh, I didn't do it today, how do I do it tomorrow? And you try. And then if it doesn't work, you try something else until you start to find what you need, the skills you need, the, the techniques you need to use for yourself. And, um, and then you learn to maintain your stability. And when there's more stability and more awareness, uh, wisdom starts to arise more, more readily as well. Um, and then learning how to maintain all of that. I thought that lovely, but... As we, if we are steadily applying in daily life services, as we keep practicing, the way you practice changes. Yeah, and we have to be uh, flexible about that. We have to be open to the fact that you won't always be the way you were when you started out. Unless, of course, you're not keeping up a continuous and steady practice. Then we can, can be starting over and over again. That's a difference. He says, so now you're using your wisdom, right? You've decided you do things fast at home, so you're going to try to be mindful while doing things fast. That's, that's a way of using your intelligence to learn how you can remain mindful in your situation. That's, that's a good... <laughs> 
example of how you do that, adapt, you know. Yeah, he says, you go swimming. You can't swim slowly. He says, you'll sink. <laughs> <laughs> you have to maintain some measure of speed, right? You have to maintain some steadiness, yeah. He says you watch champions of anything. He says they know exactly how much power and speed and you know accuracy they need. They, they're aware of every single detail about what they need to do. Yeah, that's how they increase their you know they, they break their own records. Yeah, he says when we do Tai Chi or yoga, you know, you move different, like several parts of your body at the same time. He says that's the kind of awareness that Vipassana is um, like, you know, that you have the flexibility to lower. In Tai Chi, you move your legs and hands at the same time, and you move, you, you turn at the same time. <laughs> What do you pay attention to? You just know the whole. A breathe a little, man. Breathe yeah. a little. And you have to breathe correctly too. There's <laughs> lots of things happening. But you yeah. Focus no yeah. If you focus, you know, you think you have to be aware of one thing or something, he says, then it's difficult. But you can know it all. Generally. So that's why he always says Vipassana has to do with there's a book I can't remember about a basketball team and, and the so this 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 player he, he spoke about how sometimes when they play a game it feels like everybody becomes really connected. You become very aware of yourself and he says and it feels like everybody who's playing together has that same awareness. And he says those are the best games because nobody seems to care who wins or loses. <laughs> because everybody can feel how the game is played in the most skillful way possible. And, and the, 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 the magic is, is that. So if we know the mind, Sarah says, the mind is what knows all else. So if we truly know the mind, we can know everything. If we're only with the objects, Sarah says, it's not easy to be mindful in daily life. Of course, we start with them to bring our mind eventually to the mind. Yeah, he says we have to know how to recognize as objects, body and mind, and then we also have to recognize the mind that's knowing as object, you know, all sorts of things to know, to build the practice into. Okay. <laughs> 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 he says, you know, he spent so many 
months and years in his teacher's monastery practicing. And he was very good at practicing in the monastery. But he would go home and he would just throw it away. Um, and he got into Great Depression several times. Um, and, it, and then when he, be, when he, as a last resort, he said, really, it was a last resort that he began meditating at home. Um, he said then he had to throw it all in. He had to find his way, um, you know, into how to be mindful in daily life, despite dropping the ball all the time, again and again. It was just a daily slog to learn for himself because it was, um, yeah, it was critical. Yeah. Okay, speaker will finish. They finished listening. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, <coughs> I have a question. I also want to talk about an experience. So yesterday I had a kind of a very kind of intense afternoon um, dealing with lots of conflict. So I have kind of a new role in my organization which also involves lots of conflict. So I came here with lots of conflict and yeah. now I kept kind of remembering but it's also kind of a familiar experience from previous retreats. Mm. It only came a little faster this time. Uh, and... Uh, so the first thing that happened is that I uh, I kept basically checking all my angry thoughts about other people mm -hmm. and I found that uh, they were very similar to the thoughts I had on previous retreats and mm -hmm. I know from previous retreats that most of these thoughts are incorrect. Uh -huh. So the first thing I did is to remind myself that uh, I'm basically having lots of kind of wrong thoughts, okay. so I try to kind of maintain this awareness. I found this a very kind of intense experience, actually, mm -hmm. yeah. over kind of an extended period of time. At the same time, I had the feeling that I actually did maintain awareness, actually, most of, not all of the time, but most of the time, going, going through this. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I remembered was that, actually, a couple of days ago, I read in Sayadaw's book that... Uh, he distinguishes between uh, accepting experiences and even a difficult experience can be accepted. Mm -hmm. At the same time, he says that you should be very careful that the knowing mind doesn't get contaminated by that. And that is something that actually I found... Difficult. Well, I, I wasn't quite sure whether I applied correctly or understand it correctly and mm -hmm. whether I accept kind of the difficult experience in the wrong place. In the wrong place? Yeah, that I accept something which I just is a difficult experience and allow it to basically kind of defile <coughs> the knowing mind as opposed to... Defile what? The knowing mind. So because Sayyidah has this argument that he says we should protect the knowing mind from getting defiled. Um, ไอ้มาเปียตนาฤชีเราตุเสกติมาบาบรอดตาฤชินซานิเลยเนี่ยซินซานิเราตุอตุ้ยเหลียวเนี่ยไอ้จีเนี่ยตุอตุ้ยเ
When you understand the principle of thoughts, you take care of two, two things at the same time. Awareness happens, you know, understanding happens, and you also deal with the problem. Both can happen at the same time. So the road is not easy. 
Mm. He says it's when we can watch, you know, the unwholesome states that arise in the mind. So uh, the desire to, the attachment to what is positive and the fear of what's negative, when we can watch them and then not identify with them. You know, when we can remind ourselves that this is the nature of what's happening in the mind and watch it. And when they calm down and there is, the mind is neither resisting or attaching and it feels quite neutral. Then the mind can see more in a more balanced way. But that's still not enough. He says, and you do this again and again until the mind has some realization about it. And it's realization that frees the mind from its from the grip of whatever is cooking it. He says, the two extremes, um, greed and aversion, in inverted commas, Sierra says, we're supposed to avoid the extremes, inverted commas, but <coughs> we, we, we avoid using greed and aversion. Again, you know, so um, he says the way to get to the, to the middle path of, of non-aversion and non-greed is to know, is to realize the nature of, non, of aversion and greed. And then it's, then it's not, not a resisting or an attaching, it's an understanding. It's an understanding. Then it's not rejecting what is perceived to be bad and it's not, you know, it's understanding it and therefore it lets it go. Or it's not attaching to what, what is good, it's understanding what attachment is and therefore it gets to the middle way. But that realization is not big. It sets you free. So he gives an analogy of when we understand that pain is an object. And then he says when we begin to understand when pain is not there, that that's an object. No pain is an object. And pain is also an object. When we understand that it's just an object, Sierra says, then, um, then we don't attach to pain, and, or we don't resist pain, and we don't attach to non-pain. That's the middle way. We're neither rejecting nor attaching. We see it for what it is. Yeah, and the understanding that something is an object is the understanding that that's what's being known now. All of them are just being known. Yeah. Nobody's there, it's just being known. That's its, that's its role, that's its job. Realization is not going to pay for it. Pay for it, one But when we have that kind of realization, that's when we don't feel elated nor depressed. Are you a definition of that? Yeah. And this is, this is just one of the kinds of realization you could have, right? To understand that something is an object. Yeah. So, Buddhism is neither a pessimistic nor an optimistic religion, it's a realistic one. You really see things for what they are, and that sets us free.
support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.